Welcome back. We continue to look at Shinran's thought, but in this episode we're looking at some of his pastoral letters, which have a more informal style, and were addressed to his followers in the Kanto region. In particular, we're looking at a series of letters called Matosha, which is translated as Lamp for the Latter Ages. And in the letters, Shinran is addressing various problems that arise in his Sangha in the Kanto region. Uh, and he also offers reassurance to people who are struggling. I hope you enjoy the podcast. I read this, um, this article that suggested that uh, the Nimbutsu is a sacrament. Uh, mm. And so I then had to try and look up what a sacrament is. Uh, and then I also came across the word mysterion, which apparently is the Greek word for sacrament um and i was trying to work out what a sacrament is um and and whether it has a meaning apart from the meaning that it has uh in the uh in the christian church um but it it seemed to me to mean something like um something sacred but secret or something uh uh obviously they're rituals i I, i'm guessing that um the uh what do you call it the you know, when you take the bread, what's that called? Communion. Communion, thank you. And I, I guess that's a sacrament, isn't it? Right. Yeah. As, as I understand it in, in, the, uh, in the Catholic Church, a sacrament is a ceremony in, in which there's an infusion of grace. Mm. So that, right. that's, that's, that's the key. Well, that's, that's, so that's what called my attention, exactly, that concept yeah, of something right. being infused with grace. So it's almost like you've got this, what would it be, this structure or something uh, that is an action. Obviously, it's a ritual action uh, in the case of communion, but, but so is, um, you could say, so is saying the Nimbutsu. And somehow, through doing this action, you activate some you activate something, well, you use the word grace, uh, in, in the case of um, the Nimbutsu, obviously what you activate is, well, we could say Shinjin, we could say Amida's mind, we could say the primal vow, and somehow there's, uh, I, I don't know whether it's correct to say that, and then in that moment, uh, the transfer of merit takes place, because in some ways, I'm more and more convinced that the transference of merit has already taken place. Mm-hmm. And the name Butsu is a bit more like a reminder or something like that. Well, like I wrote a little bit, you know, in what I was saying about uh, Plato, you know, Plato's idea of knowledge mm-hmm. as remembrance, so that almost more that saying the name Butsu is actually a reminder uh, that, that your, your mind is um, identical with a reader's mind. But right. still, it seems to relate to this idea of grace of some kind, uh, the, the activation of grace. I, I don't know how to, yeah. how to say it. I, I think of it as, as being some, somewhat different because um, I, mean, I, I find it a little odd to, to call it a sacrament. Okay, yeah. But, but the, um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's the use of a term which has a very specific meaning in one religion that yeah. doesn't really right. transfer to another religion very well. But Yeah, no, this is really good. This is good because um, what I'm noticing quite a lot in, in what I'm reading 
uh, is there's a tendency to translate uh, Shin uh, practice into a Christian language. Um, right. So the, the use of a, a word like sacrament, the word salvation comes up a lot. And I actually oh. read one thing where the guy said, oh, in the first version that I wrote of this, I used the word salvation. And people said to me, you know, that's not really an appropriate word to use to talk about uh, Shin Buddhism. And so I replaced it with liberation or enlightenment. But it's really interesting the effects, you know, that the words that you choose then have on, have on how you're understanding what, what you're receiving. So if you start using words like, for instance, sin, which is used a lot to talk about mm -hmm. ordinary mm -hmm. beings like the, the bombu. Some people use the word sin uh, and evil as well, rather than like, I don't know, unskillful or, or whatever. Right. Um, and, and so it kind of starts to take you in a, in a certain direction. You know, it starts to, to make you maybe make connections that are not really the right kinds of connections to make. So, so I've definitely been thinking about that quite a bit. And I wondered what you thought about the word salvation, using the word salvation to talk about being born in the pure land. Yeah, I, I have a, I have really um, mixed feelings about about using terms like that, which are very specific to a to a tradition, um, and then are are used to describe another tradition. Um, there's there on one hand, I I kind of re resist it because because it can lead to some a sort of a false sense that that after all um everything is ex is the same you know um when in, in fact there are there are differences and and i guess the question is how how important are those differences is it is it just a matter of being overly pedantic to say well you know act, strictly speaking there's not salvation i i would say in buddhism as a whole i mean um leaving out Shin, um, Jodo Shinshu for the for the moment, that it's not that that um, nirvana, which is the goal of most of Buddhism, in, including in fact um, Shin Buddhism, is 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 um, nirvana is, is 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 a release or it's a liberation, and it's not it's not it's not an act of salvation, um, and unless you understand that the word salvus in Latin means healthy, and and so does the word kushala. I mean, you know, so you could say, well, it's it's the state of supreme health, the you know, a state of you know, a state of health, a state more healthy than which nothing can be conceived. Yeah, but I I, I said I think what I read was, and it's obvious really, but the idea of salvation is clearly linked to the idea of soul because it's your soul that gets saved. And so in a way, the idea of salvation is like an inherently non-Buddhist idea, you could say. Right. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, it's the, um, yeah, I mean, I think the framework is of, I mean, salvation really, really belongs to, um, to Christianity and not even to Judaism. Because the the act of salvation becomes necessary according according to Pauline um, theology, the act of salvation becomes necessary because of the original sin 
and so and so then you have acts of sacrament such as baptism which is an infusion of grace which um, atones through the mercy of the crucifixion, the, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, you know, the, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, yeah. then that makes possible every individual's um, atonement for or, original sin, which was inherited because of Adam's disobedience. I mean, it's it's just, it's a very, very particular narrative. Yeah, yeah. and obviously the reason why we're unskillful evil beings in i just used the word evil maybe i shouldn't let's say unskillful beings in uh, <laughs> buddhism is very right. different isn't it it's not because we've been disobedient it's just like a beginningless truth if you like right that's it's like um we're we're, we're existentially thrown into be an uh, into unskillfulness that's just how we how we find ourselves if you like there's no right. it's not that there's some uh ultimate uh starting point of that yeah and the t terms like kushla and akushla are are di are difficult um to uh to translate i mean i i like the language of skill and 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 also the you know health healthy but um that can make it sound a little bit too medicinal or something <laughs> yeah or technical maybe yeah yeah health health uh having a healthy mind or having healthy actions. Um, Warder, A.K. Warder used to insist that uh, Kushla should be understood as competent and Akushla as incompetent, oh. which, which makes it, I mean, it, and, and um, it makes it, it, it makes it not a moral term. Right. Exactly. Right. And, 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 and so, uh, and, and I think that his, his own personal predisposition was, was um, to try to get as much distance as possible from the language of Christianity. Yeah. So he didn't like using any term that had a particular meaning in Christianity, such right. as faith. Yeah, well, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because the, the other thing that really sort of sunk in this week, if you like, is about um, the well, the the translation, or the the sometimes translation of Shinjin as faith, mm -hmm. and I was reading things by Hirota and Ueda, who were the like they were in charge of the Shin translation project, um, and they quite clearly uh, uh, state that they do not want to translate Shinjin as faith. Mm -hmm. And they want it to be accepted as an English word mm -hmm. because they think that if you translate Shinjin as faith, it kind of takes you in the wrong direction. Um, so I, I thought that was an interest, interesting um, to read that. But they do sometimes translate it as entrusting or true entrusting, which mm -hmm. I certainly think has quite a different um, kind of semantic field around it than, 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 um, than faith does. But as, as I said, what I understood is their prefer preference is not to translate it and then to just people for lear to learn to relate to it and learn to give meaning to it. So I thought that was interesting to read that. And, 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 and there's, a, there's, a very good, um, there's a very good precedent for that. I mean, when you think of all of the terms like dharma, karma, um, 
that are, that are uh, dungarees. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> all, all of the words that have, that have been adopted into English from, from Indian languages. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking dung, dungarees sounds like Hindi, yeah. Right. Uh, pajamas, yeah. Right, uh, right. But, but uh, you know, dharma and karma, nirvana. Right. I mean, those those are now all in the uh, in the Oxford English Dictionary. Yeah, and, Buddha, and Buddha uh, as well, obviously. Yeah, and there's no reason why why um, other terms shouldn't be introduced. I yeah. think yeah. Shinjin seems to me a, a really good candidate. Yeah, for that because it is the, the way that I pre, that I pre, I notice that you that you uh, in the in the uh, writing on gratitude. Just refer to Shinjin. You just talk talk about it as as Shinjin, and and um, and, and I, I like that. Presu presumably, at an earlier stage, before you get to that particular passage, you'll have a discussion of Shinjin. Yeah, I might have to have a whole chapter on it. I, I haven't quite. Uh, what what I'm writing at the moment is I'm writing a chapter about the Nimbutsu, and uh -huh. one of the, one of the things that I find really difficult is the way that. Shinran has this constant tendency to uh, elide things together. So like Shinjin becomes Nimbutsu, Nimbutsu becomes Amida, Amida becomes the primal vow, and it's kind of all seemed kind of like the same thing. And so then it becomes difficult to think, well, okay, so what's the difference between the Nimbutsu and Shinjin? Or what's the difference between Shinjin and Amida? Or, you know, mm -hmm. like that. And, and, you know, it actually comes out in some of the letters that we're going to look at today, some of those uh, equations, if you like, that he does. So it kind of starts to scramble your mind a bit. But but uh, but I, I think probably a whole chapter on Shinjin will, will, will be necessary, I think. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, Shinjin for sure would require some explanation so, so, so that you can establish it. Um, as a term and say here this is the term here's a here's a kind of provisional translation here's how it's been translated but here's here are all the things that are said about it right so it's so starting to help me form the 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 chapter plan right, right. <laughs> yeah and, and then um well, there's some other some other terms i was thinking of that have 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 become um well Really problematic terms in, in Buddhism is you know papa and punya. You know, punya is often translated as as merit, and and, and so you, you talk about rejoicing in the merits and, and so forth. But um, the uh, term papa sometimes is translated as sin. Yeah, well, I'm coming across that a lot in texts writing about. Um about Shinran himself, in fact. And uh, for instance, it's quite common to read something that says like, uh, you know, Shinran was deeply aware of his own sinfulness or something of this sort, you know, and right. uh, um, or that the Nimbutsu uh, uh, kind of liberates us in spite of our sinfulness or this, this kind right. of language, quite a lot of language around sin. Right, and again, right. yeah, it takes me, yeah, it takes me in a different direction. Obviously, it starts me thinking about the church and the Bible and things like that. Um, when well, then it's just a million miles away from that, really. 
Mm-hmm. You know, in yeah, culture, they, culturally, historically, you know, philosophically. Yeah. Yeah. The the the, the word that that's that's come to be translated as sin. I can't I can't remember the. Uh, is it? Um, well, he talks about um, akunin. Is it? Is that the the evil person or evil? Um, right. Like I, I was thinking of, of the uh, in in Christianity. Oh, okay. there's, a, there's a there's a Greek a Greek word, and I, I've seen many discussions of that Greek word that it 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 means um, well it, it really means something like failure. You know, just um, in, oh. in in specifically. That's it's a, it's a ter- technical term from archery. So if you're aiming ah, okay. at a target and you fail yeah. to hit the target, yeah. they, they had a technical term for that. Yeah. So some people, in, in, uh, modern scholars of Christianity, like to talk about um, missing the mark. Right. You know, and, and um, I, I knew a, a Jesuit who had been heavily influenced by Buddhism. In fact, he spent... Um, some 30 years in Japan and training in, in Zen. Yeah. Um, but he, he, he liked to, uh, he like he liked to talk, talk of it as, as momentarily falling off straying, straying from the path. So there's a path that you're taking that, um, is, is a, is a path to your own well being and, and if you, if you step off that path and go astray, um, he said, "Well, all you have to do is get back on the path." <laughs> you just, you know, um, and 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 so he tended away from the traditional Catholic view that you had to have an outside infusion of grace. You know, for for a Catholic traditional Catholic, it would be going to confession and then doing a number of rituals that reestablish your your wholeness. Um, your, and, and make you make you once again complete. Um, and 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 his, he was much more of a kind of a self power sort of person um, because of the influence of, of Zen. Yeah. Incidentally, the, the the word Zen is another good example of of this precedent I was talking about. The it, it, the um, the Chinese could never find an adequate translation for Dhyana. Or jhana, so they they just came up with a phonetic attempt to to capture the uh, the sound of the word. Yeah, and and they came up with two characters yeah. that are pronounced nowadays. They're pronounced chana, right? And and then chan became pronounced as zen in Japan. And it's interesting that the word zen doesn't seem to have any association with meditation. Right. Uh, it, it, it's kind of more like uh, an aesthetic. Uh, is the way that right. most people would understood it, like simplicity or something, you know. So you right. you go into a room and it's just got I don't know, one flower in it or something, and you go, mm-hmm. oh, that's really Zen, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, just just by the way, on the 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 kind of sin evil thing. Um, so the the word that uh, Shinran uses is akunin. Uh, so that's the evil doer or the person burdened with karmic evil. Basically, all of us, we're all akunin. Um, and then he's got lots of other, and it would seem that the word for evil itself is aku, because there's a lot of similar words that begin with that. Um, 
like um, uh, Akugo, which is karmic evil or an evil act, uh, Akudo, an evil course or evil path, and so on. Yeah. Are these in the in the glossary? Yeah, the they are. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole load of words with uh, around evil. Those Japanese words. Uh, I would think so. They sound like yeah. they are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where where did you find it? Um, that that's on page two nine four of the um, glossary of the second volume. Yeah. Okay. And there's about at least ten different words that begin with aku, um, which clearly obviously means evil, or, or it's been translated as evil anyway. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. Aku. Yeah, I, I know that. I know that. Uh, I remember that character. It it it, it means it means bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. It just it just means bad. Yeah. Um. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it would seem that Hirota is trying to be sensitive not to Christianize, if you like, Shin. Uh, right. but, but evil, it's, it's a pretty loaded word, isn't it? Evil, I would say, in English. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a lot more than bad. Um, yeah. Uh, it's like wicked or something like that. You know, it's, it's quite strong. Yeah, Aku, Aku. Yeah, right. Akudo, the evil course and evil path. Yeah. Akugo, a bad, um, bad act, evil act. Yeah. Um, Akukaho, evil result. So that would be sort of like... Um, uh, vipaka. Karma yeah. Vipaka, yeah. 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 Akushin, Akushin, an evil mind. Yeah. I have a Japanese dictionary here. I'm just going to look up. Mm. Let's see if, if, if uh, I'm thinking that the Japanese word for that character is warui. It is, yeah, warui, and so um, that's the Japanese. That character is is used for the word warui, and in Japanese that means, uh, and this is a. A big, a big dictionary here. Bad, evil, ill, wrong, immoral, sinful, um, crime, to do wrong. So, uh, yeah, to do to do something wrong. It goes on and on and on. It just. Um, so you could translate it as unskillful, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, I mean, you can in, in Japanese you can use that that word can mean. Um, I mean, you can use it with reference to the weather, right? Bad or, weather, or to or to, yeah. uh, to your state of digestion, or or even to the way that you feel. You know, so so I mean, if you're feeling a little bit a little bit down, or if if um, if if something disrubs you the wrong way, you can say kimochi warui is gives me a bad feeling. You know, yeah. so yeah, it's it's yeah. it's uh, yeah. yeah, you could you could you could related to health mm. or to um, things just not not being satisfactory in some way in other places um, or at least one in one place here uh, he translates it as defiled mm. which I, I, th I think that, that sounds all right doesn't sound too Christian to me um, right uh, shall we 
shall we get on to these letters then? Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I've uh, read quite a few of them. So we're looking at his uh, Matosho, which uh, apparently is most kind of um, celebrated collection of letters. Um, uh, and they were, they were organized by one of his disciples later on um, to reflect uh, uh, well, some of his doc doctrinal views. Um, um, yeah, I, I, I read, there's an introduction about it and it says that there are, so there are 22 letters and they, it's believed they were written between 1251 uh, and 1262. I read another remark, oh, in fact, it was in the same thing, that indicates that the letters that we've got, the letters that survive, um, the earliest ones were written something like 17 years after he moved back to Kyoto. So mm -hmm. he moved back to Kyoto in his 60s, mm -hmm. and there's no extant letter that exists until 17 years after that. Um, so the speculation is that there's a lot being lost. Um, uh, but that's interesting in itself that there's no letter for that whole period of 17 years. And then the letters that exist um, uh, are after that. So then uh, obviously what that means is that most of the letters really relate to the very last period of his life. Is um, uh, uh, really the last decade or so of his life when he, he when he's in his 80s basically yeah that's really quite it, something and it, it is striking that, that, that there are um there's at least one letter in which in which he he says i'm not really the one to ask these questions of because my memory has gotten so so bad and i can't see yeah you know, my eyesight is failing and and uh and i i can't remember much of anything anymore right yeah and 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 another in which he he seems he says you know my my the course of my years has 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 run out I'm, I, I'll soon be uh, going to the to, to the pure land. Yeah, I mean it'd be interesting to to know if he actually even wrote them or whether he dictated them to somebody else. I I, I don't think there's information about that. But if he can't see very well, that would seem quite likely, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. um, that maybe somebody else wrote them. Uh, he dictated to a um, a secretary or something of that sort. But yeah, yeah. basically they're from around. They're from his is is he's in his eighties when he's writing these things, which seems quite mm -hmm. quite extraordinary, really. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that he well, it seems to me that his faculties were were still intact. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, and so it would seem that mainly the purpose of the letters is to uh, correspond with disciples who are, who are a long way away from him. Th this is something that learning this is kind of, is quite surprising that, so he, he kind of built up this following in the Kanto area, I think particularly in Hitachi province, which is close to where Tio uh, Tokyo now is, I think. Um, so around there. And he was there for about 20 years or so you know, teaching and, and building it all up. And it's not clear why, but then he decided to move back to Kyoto in his 60s. Uh, and so to let this movement continue to flourish, I don't know, maybe a, maybe like 
maybe like the good doctor who goes away and in order that his children take the medicine maybe it's like that i don't know in you know in the lotus sutra but then but then and so then during the rest of his life it would seem he has very very little physical contact with his followers because they're they're mainly in the canto area he's not there it seems that occasionally people came to visit him but not that much and so then he's writing away, he's finishing off the Kyogyo Shinsho, he's doing all of the other things that, that he's written, he's hearing news, he gets letters and he replies to them. And that's kind of his life, it seems. You know, it's kind of more literary life, uh, a, a more life of retreat, maybe you could say. Mm. Um, I suppose he's not a young guy, so maybe he doesn't want to be running around doing lots of things. But it's surprising that, I mean, it was a, quite a long period of time we're talking about, more than 25 years, this period. Um, uh, where he was writing and corresponding and so mainly the these texts are um, responses to sort of doctrinal questions or uh, disputes things like that and he's trying to kind of clarify how he understands the nimbutsu how he understands practice or, or no practice so it's, but they're very different from the kyogo shinshu because we saw with that that it is almost all quotations, isn't it? Uh, mm. Arranged in a certain sequence. Whereas here, if there are quotations, they're very, very short. And and you're hearing much more kind of the Shinran's voice, I guess, uh, in terms of the, the way that he talks and, and thinks about uh, practice. For that reason, I, I really enjoyed reading them. Mm -hmm. A couple of, a couple of uh, themes or, uh, that, that emerged is for me was one one of them was how how often he said you should go consult um, an expert in this you know, right? <laughs> you know uh, ask a scholar and and on the other hand yeah it's something that he says even more frequently than that is don't worry about this don't you know don't do any calculation just do the nimbutsu that's all you need you know yeah and, and if you if you're if you're sort of calculating and sort of how does the nembutsu work or you know then then you're sort of entering in, into the world of self power and and just and and doubt you're creating doubts for yourself unnecessarily that are not going to do you any good yeah i mean obviously on one way in one way you could read that as him just saying look shut up and just believe but actually, right. I, I think there's a there's something much more profound going on with that, and yeah, I noticed that a lot about the. Uh, well, on the one hand, he says, "Yeah, go and consult an expert," but then in a, quite a few places, it kind of makes it clear that that kind of intellectual inquiry, if you like, is basically a waste of time. You know, it's mm -hmm. it, well, as you just said, it's calculation, um, and mm -hmm. it's not is not to do with what he's trying to teach. Um, and I think what I got from that was almost this, um, it was almost this invitation uh, or exhortation to examine what part of you wants an answer to that question and why, you know what I mean? So the, these questions come up, these doubts come up. Is this the same as this? Are there three of this? Are there two of that? If I do this, will this happen? You know, and he's kind of like, um, he's like interrogating or questioning the tendency of the mind to to want to have answers to everything and to have a, an intellectual response because actually here as well he also says that 
the vow is beyond conceptual understanding. I think that comes up at least a couple of times. Um, it does, yeah. Um, right. Which I, I thought was quite interesting as well, that, that he's, he's trying to indicate that, you know, in a way, we can't even really understand this. We can't understand this. Uh, um, it, it, we, but we can enter into it. Um, so it kind of seems like he's sort of trying to promote a different way of relating, really, that a, a relating that is not uh, uh, determined by, um, well, the conceptual mind, the analytical mind. Maybe we could say it's more about the imagination. Don't know. Yeah. Did you did you happen to look up the word calculation in the uh, glossary? Uh, I, I I didn't need to because I actually already know that um because that's that that which is it you it might be argued that that is another word that could be a candidate for uh for being an english word in the future uh but it's hackerai yeah. hackerai yeah but it, it it's quite a complex word because yeah it's translated as calculation but as far as i can tell it's it's basically something like the egocentric tendency you know what whatever tendency you have to function in an egocentric type way that's yeah. Hakarai. Yeah. Yeah. So Hakarai, Hakarai is the noun form of a verb meaning to deliberate, analyze, and determine a course of action. Right. It further means to arrange or manage, to work out a problem, to bring a plan to conclusion. Yeah. So it's sort of like, yeah. Well, yeah, it's so, yeah. somewhere between sort of planning planning deliberating maybe even scheming and some scheming's you know, good i like that scheming yeah and Shin shinran's more common usage is a synonym for self-power it refers yeah. to all acts of intellect yeah yeah I, I, that's what i would will. say it seems like a synonym of self-power yeah hacker right yeah right yeah but it kind of describes it in a more complete way that way in which we're trying to uh you know calculate our own uh, liberation. So we think, well, look, if I do this, will that liberate me? You know, if I say the Nimbutsu a hundred times, will that be enough? This, uh, this sort of, it's almost kind of as well a kind of bargaining, you know, as well, this sort of thinking, well, if I do my part, then that will mean that I'll be, uh, I'll be released. I'll be um, liberated. Right. It's, it's interesting because it, it, it's, um, like I say, it seems to me to, to describe a lot, <laughs> well, a lot of the way that we function, you know, the, this tendency to think that we can liberate ourselves. And if I do this at that practice and that practice, then I'll be liberated. Mm -hmm. uh, but also as well, the, 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 the desire to, I would say, to have dominion over liberation as well, to think that we're in control of it ourselves, you know, that we control it um, or that the ego controls it, let's say. Yeah, and and, and uh, I, th I think Hakarai also um, is related to the, to this theme of of everything of of this being beyond understanding, mm. and and right. and, and uh, deeply mysterious. If you yeah. find yourself saying, "Well, trying to solve the puzzle, as it were," well, it, this is this is really strange. How does it work? Even trying. To intellectually understand how it is that 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 you manage to become um, how does the 18th vow work? Mm. 
Uh, I mean, that, that raises a, a few questions for me then, because it raises the question of the relevance of um, intellectual reflection about Shin. Uh, on the one hand, everything that we've done over the last few months, right? Yeah, exactly. On one hand, but then also all of the work that these Shin scholars do, like Hirota, who's written loads and loads of things, uh, and many other people. So is it that those things are irrelevant? Because uh, I'm, not, I'm not convinced that they are. And then I had this thought yesterday, and, uh, and I didn't get very far because I think I was about to fall asleep. But the thought, <laughs> the thought was about um, theology and what the purpose of theology is. Uh, and obviously I was relating that to uh, reflection around um, Buddhism, well, let's say Shin Buddhism in this case, and what its purpose is, you know, what, what, what purpose does it serve? Um, because you could think, well, it, it serves the purpose of making you seem more clever than everybody else. That might be one purpose, or it serves the purpose of trying to um, convince people intellectually of things. I don't know. Um, but I, I was thinking in another way um, uh, of, of theology, and it, it, it must be about trying to reveal kind of the deep truths, really, in a way that people can understand them. I mean, that doesn't sound like any kind of theology that I've studied, but that would be my kind of idea of what it should be about. You know, surely it should be about trying to enable people to connect with, um, with, with the religious. Um, uh, yeah, but, but often, you know, certainly Christian theology, you read a lot of it and you think, wow, you know, that is so far from what most Christians could possibly even think about isn't it it's really mm. quite dense stuff a lot of the time yes, yeah. um but there, there must well i don't know I, I i ask you is is there room is there relevance to uh conceptual intellectual reflection on on these issues i mean i think so i i think i'm getting something out of what we're doing it's helping me to connect with something Mm -hmm. but but maybe it's all just hackerai what do you think yeah i mean i i, I suppose it's um I, mean, I, I was i was really really struck by this by this one passage here that, that yeah. pertains to all this I, in fact i'm in the letter the, the letter that's on page 531 right um it starts off i mean it's it's sort of relevant to living in the time of, of a pandemic. In fact, it's saddening that so many people, both young and old, men and women, have died this year and last. But the Tathagata taught the truth of life's impermanence for us fully, so you must not be distressed by it. But then in, in, the, uh, in that, the, the biggest paragraph in this particular letter, about halfway through, he says, I recall hearing the late master Honen say, persons of the Pure Land tradition attain birth in the Pure Land by becoming their foolish selves. Mm. I love that. I mean, I, I felt like this, 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 this requires going out and having it tattooed on your arm or something. <laughs> yeah, by becoming their foolish selves, yeah. By becoming their foolish mm. selves. Yeah. Moreover, I remember him smile and say, as he watched humble people of no intellectual pretensions coming to visit him, 
without doubt, their birth is settled. And I heard him say after a visit by a man brilliant in letters and debating, I really wonder about his birth. To this day, these things come to mind. Mm. And so, so when he's writing this letter in um, 1260. So that's well after, I mean, a long time after Honan is. Right, it's nearly 50 is, years. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and, and so. So, uh, and the other thing that's interesting as well, that uh, one thing that I was um, reading this week is that actually uh, Shinran generally makes very, very few references to Honen's teachings in his writings. Um, so it's interesting that there's a specific, I mean, he's presenting it as even a quotation here, isn't he? Um, uh, so it must have really stuck in his mind, you'd think. Yeah, you know, and it seems that when he does refer to Honen, the feeling I get, and I'm not sure that this is um, this is actually correct, but it's a kind of an impression I have, is that what really made an impression on Honen, on, on Shinran, was Honen's person, his, mm. his personality, his way of being. That that made an impression on him, and, and this this one, these couple of phrases, which were not, you know, I doubt very much that it was a part of Honen's um, corpus of literature to focus on this necessarily <laughs> but he just says you know he probably just said it you know the people who you know he, he said it obviously and probably on one one occasion that that there was this very brilliant scholar who was really good at talking and debating and everything and and Honan just wondered whether yeah Honan who seems to have been convinced maybe for Honan Honan still was in, was in that frame of mind that you have to say the Nembutsu lots of times, right? Um, he was, yeah. Uh, so that, yeah. I mean, it, it, there was a kind of, um, may, maybe a feeling on his part that the more time you spent analyzing and doing philosophy, the less time you were doing Nembutsu. Yeah, and uh, it also says, yeah, firmly avoid all scholarly debate, um, yeah. Um, so this, the, the, the phrase that you picked out, um, persons of the Pure Land tradition attain birth in the Pure Land by becoming their foolish selves. How would you understand that? Uh, I, I think I think it's in the it's in the in this in the spirit of this uh, you know abandoning Takarai um, that that you know don't don't try to be clever don't 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 try to uh, to be able to to express this better than anybody else has expressed it or you know there's a there can there, as, as we both know from having hung out in the academic world there's an awful lot of competition that goes on in the name of simply understanding things i mean it's it's it's, it's an aspect of the academic world that that i found really depressing i mean i just found it really demoralizing how much one-upsmanship there is you know people say well Every time somebody says something, you try to say the same thing a little bit more cleverly or something like that. Yeah, or make some fine distinction that points out that you've understood it slightly better than they did. Yeah. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> so, so the, uh, I mean, that, that all kind, that, that kind of activity seems to fall under Hakarai. Mm. And so this just become foolish again, mm. sort of, Mm. reminds me a little bit of you know 
uh, Zhuangzi, who, who's, whose writings I return to again and again, you know, talking about the, um, well, his, his, his uh, parable of the tree, you know, the bent, gnarled tree that had survived for years, you know, for centuries, and in, in its survival had just become so twisted that no carpenter would go near it because its wood was totally useless. And precisely because it was useless, it survived. And, and, um, and, and, and this, in a way, is in the same kind of a spirit. Just by being clever, you're actually creating an obstacle for yourself to reach, to reach the goal. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. It's phrased as becoming uh, the foolish selves. Uh, I, I suppose I, I see it as a process of, um, of self-awareness, I suppose, um, a, pr a process of recognizing uh, how flawed we are. I mean, that, that's something that I has, has been resonating a lot with me in what I've been reading and reflecting on, the emphasis that rather than thinking that you will transcend being flawed, uh, what you will discover more clearly is how deeply flawed you are. Um, mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and even Shinjin itself, uh, it has two dimensions, uh, because one dimension is that you realize uh, that your mind is um, non-different or intimately connected uh, to Amida's mind, which therefore means that you're the equal of all Buddhas and you're bound to become enlightened. But at the, at the same time, you also realize that you're a foolish being and, that, and they seem to come together. That's what, I'm, that, that's what it seems to me. They actually seem to imply one another, those two things. Um, so the more, if you like, the more you become attentive to um, Amida's um, uh, transference of merit, uh, the more you realize what a foolish being you are. Uh, and also maybe the more that you realize what a foolish being you are, the more willing you are uh, to trust in uh, Shinjin or to trust in the vow because you realize that that's your only option. Uh, I mean, Chinran says that in a number of places. Um, mm -hmm. If he could do something else, he would do it, but he's got no clue about anything else. So he, he, uh, he chants to Nimbutsu. So there's something in that juxtaposition or that paradox that seems to me to be really, really telling, like really quite profound. And, 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 and in a way that, and I hope I'm not entering into heretical territory here, in, in a way that the more traditional Buddhist model of enlightenment uh, doesn't, doesn't speak to me so much. Uh, so if, if the traditional model says something like you through lots of effort become, become become enlightened and to become enlightened means that basically have no faults uh you know it means to act always in a compassionate skillful way i just find that i mean i, I don't find it very realistic really I, I, is uh, is my honest view about it um uh and but this this more complex view uh seems a lot more uh uh well I wouldn't say attractive, but it, it seems more intuitively convincing to me, this idea that there, so you, you've got both at the same time. Yes, you, you do have this connection with something transcendent, let's say that, 
Um, but equally, you're still this um, kind of contingent, uh, limited being who's likely to say stupid things and mm -hmm. be a bit insensitive to someone uh, or whatever it might be. Yeah, I, when we were talking earlier about sinfulness, that Shinjin is being aware of your your own your sinfulness. Um, I was thinking that something that, that I would find it more easy to, to relate to would be um, being aware of your own inadequacy, you know. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, and, and once you begin to explore that, um, your own inadequacy, you can, you, you can either kind of go into a very dark place, which is you know, to just constantly be beating yourself up for just being totally useless in almost everything that you do. Because <laughs> once you begin to explore your own inadequacy, you, you start to see how widespread your inadequacy is. I mean, there's how many things it is there are that you're really incompetent with and, at, and and uh, and it could it could be a very self-defeating kind of place, self-loathing kind of kind of space. And and that's why the that's where that's where the element of salvation really comes forward. Is that somebody really has come along and pulled you out of that inadequacy it's sort of like you're drowning and somebody has come along and 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 and, and saved you from 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 drowning and flailing around and not being able to um, not being able to to swim to save yourself so yeah it's in, in in that case there really is an element because because that comes about precisely through um other powers it's someone else who achieves your safety, which is another 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 one of the many meanings of salvus in Latin, from which we get salvation. Is is your safety, your well-being? Somebody else has achieved that, despite you're not being able to do it yourself. And so there really is an element of of a um, well of a savior, isn't there? <laughs> Yeah, although then I guess the question arises, who or what is the source of salvation? Uh, and where, and what, in a sense, what is other power? Is other power really external? Uh, because obviously other power appears as external in relation to dualistic thinking. Um, but uh, uh, perhaps other power is the transcendence of dualistic thinking. Uh, and that's why I always come back. I mean, I'm still struggling with this, but um, that's why I keep coming back to this idea that in a way, uh, Amida is not outside, he's inside. Um, uh, because uh, it becomes another way, I think, of talking about Buddha nature as well. Um, and I, I don't know whether this is brought out fully in Shinran, but it seems that other power is a synonym uh, for Buddha nature. Um, but Buddha and nature understood in a way as something that doesn't belong to the ego, that can't be appropriated uh, by the ego, something that, that, uh, that, that stands free of that. But it's, not, it's clearly not separate from us, because if it was, well, we wouldn't be able to uh, actualize it. Yeah, I, I, I think the, um, in, in the writings of, of Shenron, you, you, f you find a, a kind of... Um... That question is almost 
unresolved whether whether you take the narrative of the Sukhavati Buha Sutra more or less literally, where there is there is this being who who has done all these things and who is who is outside yourself and who has um, come along and made it. You know, you remember that parable of the shine of the uh, shining path you know yeah the white path I mean, the, yeah there, the, you know, the, 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 there are these people who are who are uh helping you and and um and, and others who are holding you back so that that really does work best as a as a kind of dualistic mm. system where, right but, but shinran also in the way that he talks about shinjin and buddha nature and comes around to equating all of these, does come around a little bit more to a kind of almost Vedanta sort of position where, whereby the, the state of being in Dukkha or the state of being in Sansara is a result of misidentifying who you really are. You know, what you think you are is, is this body and mind and, and ego and intellect and all these thoughts that you have. That's what you're identifying with, but what you really are is Buddha nature. Couldn't that be argued to be a Yogacara view as well? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you know, from a phenomenological point of view, that the Yogacara, Vedanta, some forms of Zen, and even some parts of Shinran's Pure Land really do have in common a kind of a view that your real nature, your true nature, who you really are, is is something um, unassailably wholesome and good. And, and that the pain and suffering that you endure in life has come about because of your not appreciating that that's who you really are. Shinran doesn't really go quite the, the whole length of that argument because and and yet and yet when he when he's doing all these equations and yeah saying that you are um the equivalent of maitreya right and that and 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 that all all the buddhas have the same um essence you know i think in western buddhism a lot of people have become really allergic to the word essence i know i know i know just from from uh from names that that there are people who you know if if a, somebody's suggesting a name that has like Sara, yeah, um, Saramati or something, you know, that one of the meanings of Sara is you know the the essence of something, the true nature of something, and and um, some people have have even deprecated that name that, that element in a name because they they're so allergic to the notion of essence. But I think in Shinran, you really do have something very much like that, that there is this kind of um, dharmakaya. There is something that ties all of these Buddhas together. Right. I mean, there's, um, it, there is a, at least one thing that comes out in, uh, here in one of the letters. Um, it's, um, which one is it? It's the second letter uh, mm -hmm. towards the end on page 527. And he says, uh, you should know that this Shinjin is bestowed through the compassionate means of Shakyamuni, 
Amida and all the Buddhas in the quarters. So to my mind, he seems to be saying like all the Buddhas are one Buddha, basically. Uh, Because they're all responsible for Shinjin. He's not saying just Amida, he's saying Shakyamuni, he's saying all Buddhas. Uh, And in fact, uh, before that, I I didn't underline this, but I'm reading it now in the same letter. Uh, He's writing about Shandao. And he says, he explains uh, that Shakyamuni, Amida, and the Buddhas in the Ten Quarters, all with the same mind, are no more apart from sentient beings of the Nimbutsu than shadows from things. So actually, there's not, oh. only, not only is he equating all Buddhas as being like the same Buddha, he's also equating all Buddhas with human beings. Right. So, so it's almost like that, um, you know, that Chinese sect, the three stages sect that believed like everyone's a Buddha. Right. If you remember that. But, uh, but anyway, that, that seems to be that, or, or at least everyone's equivalent to being a Buddha. Because there's but, also, if you remember in one of the others, he talks about how all of the Buddhas praise people who recite the Nimbutsu because they're equivalent of Buddhas. So there's, there's all of these equations going on that, Right, my head spin after a while. And in that same letter is is another passage. I'm glad that you referred to this letter because something in that paragraph right at the beginning of 527, I really really like this a lot. Um, well, he's you should know that this Shinjin is bestowed through the compassionate means of Shakyamuni Meet and all the Buddhas. Therefore, you should not disparage the teachings of other Buddhas or the people who perform good acts other than Nembutsu. So even though there's this tremendous focus on Nembutsu, you should never disparage people who do something else. Neither should you despise those who scorn and slander people of Nembutsu, even Nichiren, I suppose. Rather, you should have compassion and care for them. Yeah. This was Honan's teaching. Yeah. I I really like that. Um, Yeah. I, I like the way that, that, that he sort of juggles that. Yeah. Um, don't ever disparage anybody with this other tendency, which is talked about on the bottom of 526. Persons of Shinjin are the true disciples of the Buddha. They are the ones who abide in right-mindedness. Since they've been grasped never to be abandoned, they are said to have attained the diamond-like mind. They are called the best among the best, excellent persons, wondrous, excellent persons, the very finest, rare persons. Yeah. It's all of these superlatives. Yeah. The people who the, the people who have Shinjin really are all of those things. But I mean there's a kind of noblesse oblige, I guess, element of this. And even though you're the best, you should never disparage anyone else. Yeah, I mean I find that there's something absolutely fascinating in that because uh, there's on the one hand this there's this kind of obviously uh well Shinjin uh confidence or uh you you must feel really good about being connected with shinjin but in no way should that translate into arrogance or superiority right or if it does translate into arrogance or superiority then you're not you're not sufficiently attentive to what shinjin is uh, is revealing mm-hmm. um so <clears throat> what i get from that is that the character as someone of Shinjin will be uh, quite humble. You know, it will not be somebody who's going around, you know, shouting others down and 
telling them they're talking rubbish and that kind of thing, not at all. But there will be this, um, this confidence at the same time behind that, you know. Um, so it's quite an interesting uh, juxtaposition of, of human qualities, I think. Right. Um, yeah, I, I was quite struck by the fact that he, he says that you should have compassion for people uh, who are doing other practices. Um, yeah, presumably, I guess, because you want them to be, um, you want them to realize Shinjin as well. Uh, and right. so if they're doing practices that are not taking them there. Well, instead of thinking that you're better than them and they're idiots, you should think, oh dear, you know, what? that's a shame. Uh, I'd, be, I'd like to be able to help. Mm-hmm. Like that. Yeah, and, 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 and that certainly, if Shinran actually acted this way, and I've never read anything that suggests that he didn't, that really marks him very as a very different kind of person from uh, Nichiren. Uh, I think I think so. I think yeah. so. Very different. Yeah. Nichiren was very much in the business of condemning everyone. Yeah. Well, and also trying to get others, trying to enlist the support of others to do the same as well. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, a, a further reflect, sort of following on from that, a further reflection that I had this week is that um, Shinran was hardly known in Kyoto. So he moved back to Kyoto and he was there for nearly 30 years. And it would seem that he was hardly known by anyone. So it wasn't like he was like a noted teacher in Kyoto. Because Mm -hmm. first of all, his main following was in Kanto. And it would seem that he wasn't really proselytizing in Kyoto or or we don't seem to have any, any idea about that. So it's like what I'm driving at is that he wasn't trying to call attention to himself you know that wasn't his intention to to call attention to himself which which seems quite remarkable um and uh and within his lifetime and also within honing lifetime before he wasn't one of the noted disciples so he wasn't a particularly noted person in his lifetime apart from his following maybe in the Kanto region and it was really quite a long time afterwards that he started to become uh, better known. It would seem that one of his daughters created a mausoleum in Kyoto, which is now the uh, Nishi Honganji, or one, one of them, uh, you know, one of the main uh, temples there. And then very slowly, people started to learn about him. But I, I just find it fascinating to, to now think about how, at least in my imagination, how big a, how big a figure Shinran is in the history of Buddhism. Mm-hmm. And yet, in his own life, he was actually quite an obscure figure. Really, he was not one of the main Japanese teachers that were known, you know, in in Kyoto or even anywhere else. Right. It makes me think of uh, a little bit. Makes me think of Emily Dickinson. I don't know if you know her. That, um, oh yeah, right. But she never published a poem in her lifetime. I just find right. that extraordinary. You know, these people are living their lives and with their creativity and so on, and uh, fortunately, they write certain things down, and then hundreds and hundreds of years later, there's people poring over what they wrote, you know, thinking this right. is amazing, you know. Yeah. Uh, and at the time, you know, a, a bit like uh, what happened to the the Buddha when he after he got enlightened and he met that guy Upaka, you know, in the street, and mm. uh, you know, and 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 Upaka goes to him, oh, who are you? Uh, and the Buddha goes, well, I'm a Buddha. 
uh, oh really? Okay. And he goes, <laughs> and he kind of walks <laughs> off. <laughs> you know, maybe it was a bit like that for, for Shinran, you know, he was around there in Kyoto and he was just this old guy to most people, you know. Um, I, I always lo love the fact that that story is preserved because it sort of, sort of, you know, the, you could say that the Buddha's teaching career didn't get off to a brilliant start. You know? Yeah. There's an issue that, that I, um, I've been exploring, and I, I'll just um, say, say something about it, that, which is, has to do with, with, with gratitude. Um, when I, I, I've, I've told you that when I had an interview with uh, Taitetsu Uno, he said that, that, that gratitude was, was the most important thing that he thought Western Buddhism had to learn from Shin. Shin Buddhism and the the spirit of gratitude and um, he said you know when you say thank you in Japanese the expression for thank you is arigato gozaimasu and arigato um, <laughs> arigato is does does mean gratitude uh, and he's, he he uh, it's an it's an honorific form and the the more plain form is arigatai, which means to you know to be grateful. And um, he said he said it's it's very much akin to the notion of a miracle. That was the word that he used. That that um, uh, that when you express gratitude, arigato gozaimasu really really means it's a miracle that that I've been um, taken out of this difficult position I was in, um, that I had a problem and you solved it. And, and, and so I, I, I was just looking up this, this word arigato in, in the dictionary and I noticed I was really struck by the fact that it's in, written in Chinese characters and the first Chinese character means to have or even to be, can, can be either one of those. And the second character is the same character as the Japanese word muzukashi, which means difficult or troublesome or bother. So it occurred to me that arigato is expressing gratitude, but it's also in the form of a kind of apology, which is, I've put you to some trouble. I've, I've been a bother to you. And, um, and so I, was, I, I wrote to a, to a Japanese friend and asked him whether whether historically that's the case, whether whether it's expressing gratitude in the form of a kind of um, apology for having for having been a nuisance in some way, I haven't. He he wrote back to me in in Japanese, and all all he said was, um, uh, "I'll answer your question this afternoon." <laughs> he's he's going to write me later. And and I and I hope he does it. I hope he writes in English, <laughs> so, so I have a better better chance of understanding his answer. Well, I'm on tenterhooks to know. I mean, that's just um, spectacular what you just said. Um, and uh, obviously, that's something about the the Shin approach that I'm trying to get my head around that that idea uh, of gratitude as well, and how uh, the Nimbutsu is said not in order to, but in thanks for. Uh, that, mm -hmm. That's really quite interesting, I think. Um, mm -hmm. 
So you don't chant the Nimbutsu because it will um, get you somewhere uh, or it will deliver you something. Uh, you chant the Nimbutsu because something has been given to you uh, and it's the way uh, you, would, you express your recognition and gratitude for that. Um, this actually comes up again in the letters here, doesn't it? Because there's, there's a thing about where somebody's saying whether they, whether they need to say the name or not. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, yeah, this is actually in letter 12. And it says something like, um, though a person may have Shinjin, if he or she does not say the name, it is of no avail. And conversely, even though a person fervently say the name, if that person's Shinjin is shallow, he cannot attain birth. Right. Thus, it is the person who both deeply entrusts himself to birth through the Nimbutsu and undertakes to say the name who was certain to be born in the true fulfilled land. There's something really, really intriguing about that, that somehow they can't be separated. Uh, so Shinjin can't be separated from uh, uh, saying the Nimbutsu. Um, and uh, maybe, maybe there's various ways that you could understand that. One way might be that if you'd really grasp what Shinjin is all about, uh, it's obvious that that would sort of flow out uh, in terms of gratitude, and then that implies the Nimbutsu. But I was also thinking about it as well um, in terms of the, um, the oneness of um, realization and practice uh, in Dogen. Uh, so the idea that um, Shinjin can't exist as a kind of a, a psychological state independently of the practice of the nimbutsu it like it has to be revealed through the nimbutsu uh, and so those two things like um coexist you know they they, they uh, uh that they can't be separated uh, is one of the number of ways in which i'm seeing more and more connections between dogen and shinran um, mm -hmm. don't know what you think about that yeah I, I I, I think yeah you know, I, I I think that that's really really worth exploring um, the um, I mean the perception I, or the, the the kind of standard way of talking about Shinran and and, and Dogen or between Jodo Shinshu and, and the Zen Zen schools is that you couldn't possibly have any two things that were farther apart and um, and and yet I think that there are a number of ways in which they really are extremely close, and 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 what you just just said, I think, really captures it very well. That there's a, this kind of unity of, um, I mean, for 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 Dogen, uh, he says the only thing you really need to do is Zen, Zazen. But then it turns out that Zazen is is any activity, provided that it's done with the right mind, <laughs> in in the spirit of Zazen, and that. And and so there, there's there's a there's a way of um, there's a kind of implicit warning in that not to let anything become just just a routine that you're doing mechanically. And the same was is true with the nimbutsu. I mean, for the nimbutsu really to be effective, you have to really be it. You have to be saying it wholeheartedly each time you say it, so that it's it's never just a you know a mechanical thing that a robot could do it has to be done with this full um 
awareness of, of, of the implications of the of the gratitude. But he definitely emphasizes that you should say it. Right. In that same letter, he says, please say the Nimbutsu, fully understanding why I've explained above. Right. Because, uh, you know, there's the whole discussion about the once calling and many calling, isn't there? If you remember, we looked at that text. And, right, uh, right. So it, it, it's, uh, he seems to think that it's important to say the Nimbutsu, but at the same time, he makes it clear that saying the Nimbutsu is not a cause of any kind of spiritual um, uh, liberation, uh, because that liberation has been gifted. Thank you.